All right. Well, good morning again, everybody. But you guys are here. Um, going to start out this morning just to sharing a few stories with you, true stories. The first one uh, I ran across years ago, and uh, I have loved it. It's just every time we talk about this topic, it comes to mind. But there's a true story written about a, a, a guy by the name of uh, John Texaria talks about this. They nicknamed him Tex. Spent his life as a fisherman on the Hawaiian Islands. And uh, one night, it was decades ago now, he was taking his 40-foot fishing boat towards a beach of an otherwise inaccessible canyon on the, on the north side of Molokai. He said he, he uh, took some friends uh, ashore, let them take the skiff, uh, a small skiff from their boat uh, to, to go on to this island to go pig hunting, wild pig hunting uh, overnight while he and the rest of his crew went out and did some night fishing. Well, they came, they sent him on their way. Uh, everything was going great. They came back in the morning uh, to find a much different scenario. The waves had come up and there was just huge surf just pounding this small skiff. So they sent out this line to try and get to the uh, to this small skiff. The bottom of the, the, the little skiff had already been completely ripped apart by the, the jagged uh, lava rocks that, were, that make up the island, and it was sinking. And so they, they sent a line out while these guys hold onto it for dear life and are pulled on just some inner tubes and with their cooler full of fresh catch back uh, to this 40-foot 40, 40 boat. So they, as soon as they get them on board, they take off, and they're like, we are out of here. What they didn't know was that actually the 40-foot boat had been damaged at this time, too. Well, they are all exhausted from a night of hunting and fishing, and and uh, so Tex, the captain of the boat, goes down underneath to get a few hours shut-eye, and he awakens a few hours later to find, t- with, with these words, the boat is sinking. <laughs> They're out in the middle of the ocean on their way back to, to the main island, and uh, by the time he assesses the damage, there is nothing that can be done. The, the ship is going down, so he orders abandoned ship, and uh, they, since the skiff had been completely destroyed uh, by the hunters, the only thing they have is life jackets and a few semi-inflated like inner tube kind of things. That's all they have to cling to. And uh, so they abandon ship. They're out in the ocean. When when the text remembers, oh no, that cooler full of uh, fresh kill, basically, right, is in the ship. It goes down. He starts thinking, sharks will be here in a matter of moments. And so he orders everybody to start swimming for their lives away from the sinking ship. And uh, as they do so, they start getting swept out to sea further and further and further. And it starts to dawn on them, there's, we're done. Like, there's no boats around. There's no ships. There's no lights. There's no anything. It, it takes them most of the night that they just drift further and further and further. By, by the time first light comes, they realize it's over. And it's at that time that Tex decides, I'm calling a prayer meeting. <laughs> like, this is, this is the perfect time. These, these kind of, you know, big, burly, self-sufficient men realize there is no hope for them except one, right? And they decide it is time for us to hit our knees, I guess, metaphorically, I don't know, but whatever, it is time for us to pray. And so they lock arms uh, together. They kind of swim and pull their, uh, their rafts and their life jackets together, hold on to each other, and they start praying and praying. And they're out loud. They're yelling for help from God, right? They're calling out with everything they've got. And when the, the last guy finishes praying, they all say amen, and they open their eyes, and, and text notices there's a stick standing out of the water vertically, just 
in the middle of the ocean. There's some sort of a stick. And he's like, what is that? And uh, of course, the current's taking them away from that stick. But, but he starts thinking, maybe it's like a marker or a buoy or something. And so they decide, we're going to swim against the current, and we're going to do everything we can. If we get to it, we can at least hold on. And who knows, maybe somebody will come and check on this thing, and we'll be saved. And so they start swimming. I mean, it takes everything they've got, again, to swim against the current. And they finally, they all get there. and They're just about to get there, I should say, when all of a sudden the stick starts moving towards them. And they're like, what in the world is going on? All of a sudden there's a huge whoosh. And it seems like the ocean below them is being swept away. And they're like, what in the world? Suddenly a nuclear submarine powered submarine emerges right in front of them. The captain comes to the observation deck, opens it up, looks out, and these guys are yelling, ah! right? He kind of says, hey, those. I mean, within minutes, they're saved, right? I mean, they, they are brought on board. They're given coffee, blankets. They're down below deck now. And the captain explains to him that it is, I mean, it is against all regulations for him to uh, it, um, not, not submerge, but Surface, there it is, surface, uh, the submarine, any, any place except Pearl Harbor. He expected to be court-martialed, but quite possibly, for doing so. He's like, but, but something in me kept saying, you have got to surface the ship. You have got, he was like, and I just, I knew I had to. I brought the boat up, and there you were. Is it possible that the living God answers prayer like that? <laughs> Isn't that a great story? It's a true story. You can look it up. It's amazing. But anyway, amazing story. When, when God's people pray, we get to see and experience and know his power and his presence in ways that you can't even imagine. Isn't that, I love that. Amazing story. Get, let me give you a couple more. Uh, another one. Uh, there's, this one's about a, a little boy, true story, about a little boy named Johnny. He's about five years old or so, and he decides he wants a younger brother. And so he goes to his dad, and he says, he basically lets it be known, hey, I want a little brother, and I'm willing to do anything that it takes to get one, right? <laughs> and so his dad, uh, his dad is, is a 35-year-old, pretty wise man, and so he says, you know what, here's the deal. I want you to pray every day for the next two months, and I can all but guarantee you God will answer your prayer and give you a little brother. And so this kid, I mean, you can imagine, this kid is like, oh yeah. So he's doubling down, like he's every night, he's beside the bed, he's praying with fervor and fervency, God, give me a brother, kind of thing. He does this night after night for about a month. And, uh, and then he starts kind of uh, checking around the neighborhood, some of the other little kids, and he starts asking, well, have, have you ever prayed for a brother? You know what I mean? <laughs> and if so, like, did, did God give it to you and that kind of thing? And pretty soon he, he starts realizing this has never happened before in the history of our neighborhood. It doesn't quite work like that. You can't just pray for a couple months and boom, there's a baby brother. And so he gets a little skeptical and starts, he quits. He's like, well, pfft. I'm done. So after about a month, a uh, month of praying every night, he kind of gives in, throws in the towel, and thinks, well, that's not going to happen anyway. About a month later, his mom goes into the hospital, um, comes back home, and when they get back home, uh, he gets called into their bedroom. And he, again, he has no idea what's going on. And uh, he walks in, kind of, you know, scratching his head, like, what is going on? And when he goes in, he sees a little bundle next to the bed. And, uh, and, his mom and dad say, hey, we want to introduce you to somebody. And they remove the blanket to reveal not one, but two baby brothers, right? <laughs> Little twins. And the dad looks at his son and said, well, now, aren't you glad you prayed? 
Because look what God did. He answered the prayer, and the kid kind of smiles to himself and says, yeah, but aren't you glad I stopped when I did? <laughs> like, think how many there'd be kind of thing. Prayer is a powerful thing. When you and I learn to pray and pray with, with fervency and uh, fervor and urgency and, and repeatedly again and again, the living God shows up and he answers. I'll give you one more in two parts. Uh, probably t- a little over 20 years ago now, and I didn't learn this story until years later, but probably a little over 20 years ago now, maybe 22, 23, something like that, there was a young girl um, who had a pretty stinking hard home life, um, and she went uh, to a Christian summer camp. She was maybe in high school, maybe junior high, something like that at the time, and got called, went, went to a summer camp, had an amazing encounter with God, really met the Lord in this, uh, during the summer camp, and, uh, and spent some time with actually the nurse that was kind of there for the week, who spent a lot of time pouring into her, clarifying the gospel, kind of discipling her and raising her up as a follower of Jesus, that kind of stuff. They prayed together, and they, they would ever, and this girl starts expressing towards the end of the week that she's a little bit fearful to go home. She's like, I mean, it's great here, and my faith gets fostered, and I'm, we're, we're worshiping, and I'm getting raised up, and I'm hearing about Jesus, but when I go home, my family's a wreck, and they are far from God, and it's, it's not, this is not going to be a good place for me to grow. And so this nurse, who actually also happened to be uh, an administrator uh, for the church planting movement that we're a part of, uh, said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for your family. But we're also going to pray for the town that you live in. We're going to pray that God would bring a church planter there that could start a new church, a place that would really connect with and help uh, your family come to Christ and help them grow up and, and help you kind of grow up in your faith and that kind of stuff. And so they did. Uh, the last few days of camp, they, they met together every day and they started praying and praying and praying. Well, we didn't know that part of the story, but at the same time, a young couple in their 20s in northern Illinois started feeling this sense and this call from the Lord uh, to go plant a church. And as we s- started seeking out where, where it was that God was calling us to go, th- for no reason whatsoever, there was this small town in Wisconsin that God just kind of kept putting on our heart again and again and again and again. And about a year later, Tina and I moved up there and started a church and one of the people that came that was a part was this family. And some of them came to Christ. Others still haven't, but we're still praying. And this young girl got to be a part of this new church. I didn't, she didn't tell me the story. The nurse told me the story like three years later. She's like, oh, is there a girl that's a part of your church? That's, isn't that a cool story? When we pray God works, right? I mean, it's, it's really that simple. And I know there's some theological stuff. We're like, well, God's going to work anyway. And he is, he's sovereign. He's over all, but we get to be a part of it. We get to see it. We get to experience it. When God's people pray, God shows off a little bit, doesn't he? He shows his power and his glory. We get to know his presence. We come to know his faithfulness and his goodness in our lives. It is amazing. And yet, can I just say this as well? I think prayer is one of those things. That I, 
all of us have done. I think it's pretty much universal. I've got, I've got literally, I've got atheist and agnostic friends that pray sometimes just to kind of hedge their bets, right? I mean, they're like, when stuff is going really bad, they've prayed before. I think all of us have. If you've ever, if you can remember being a, a kid in school, or maybe you are a kid in school, and you went into a test that you were pretty much unprepared for, I bet chances are at some point you've prayed, right? So, Lord, I know I'm completely unprepared. I didn't study at all, but if you could give me supernatural knowledge, right? To ace this test. Okay, don't deny it. I know it's true, right? I mean, we've all, we've, we've been there before. Or, or if, I mean, and this is a totally change of pace kind of example, but if you have had a kid that has been really sick, if you have, uh, or maybe you know a kid that's got cancer or, you know, man, we had a, a couple that was a part of our church in Wisconsin and the dad did everything right. He was coming home from work. He had a big truck and, uh, and he honked, right, to make sure the kids weren't there because he couldn't really see before he pulled in the garage. He pulled in the garage and ran over his, his kid. Remarkably, often say, yeah, that's a different gear of prayer. Our whole church prayed for him, and remarkably, the kid was fine. It was, it was, it was miraculous. But I mean, like, if you've ever had a kid that's sick or had an accident or whatever, holy crap, there's a whole different gear of prayer, is there not? I mean, you're just like, man, you will, I, I don't even care if you're an atheist, right? You will pray at that moment. You'll be like, God, would you intervene? There, there are, prayer is one of these universal sort. All of us have probably done it at some point. The other part that I'll say is, <laughs> every, I think it's pretty much also universal, we'd say, but we don't do it enough and we don't really feel like we know what we're doing, right? I think all of us feel a little insecure about this whole thing called prayer. So and some people will be like, oh, like, be like, okay, why don't we just kind of pray out together? And some, and some of us will be like, oh, I'm not praying out loud, right? I don't know what I'm saying. I'll embarrass myself. Some of us don't know the kind of words that we should use, right? Should I use big churchy words? Oh, you know, should I use these and thous and, you know, like all these kind of things? Is that what God wants to hear? Or do we use regular words? Some of us don't, some of us, I, I know people that will never, ever pray for themselves. They're like, that's just selfish. And then there's some people that will only pray for themselves, right? I mean, like, I mean, like there, there's some confusion about this whole thing. Like, what is prayer? Yeah, the Bible talks about it. Yeah, at times we believe in it. There's, I think most Americans would say there's some miraculous stuff that's been done out there that's been done because God answered some prayers of people. But we don't really know that much about what it is or how we do it or, you know, w what is going on with it. Well, we are on our, um, our eighth and final week of a series we've been doing on the book of Colossians called Full. And, uh, and this, uh, this series has kind of all been centered around this theme that runs throughout the book of Colossians, talking about fullness uh, in Christ and, and, and how you and I can experience that. We, we said, and we looked at a verse in, in uh, Colossians chapter 2, but it talks about the fact that in Christ is fullness. All the fullness of God lives and dwells in him. And so we said, and then the second half of it says, and you too, if you are in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. And we said, all of Colossians basically can be summed up in that. It's either talking about about the fullness of Jesus and the greatness and the vastness of Jesus and how awesome he is. And there's a lot of verses in Colossians that are about that. Or it's talking about practically how you and I can step in uh, into the yoke with Jesus, how we can learn to live in relationship with Jesus in a way that we can taste and know the fullness of life that only comes from Christ. 
because that's basically all of Colossians. And so we've been walking through it just a little bit at a time. And today we're wrapping up the book. We're finishing the book. We will have read through all of it. And we're going to zero in and talk about this whole idea of prayer. And we're going to learn some lessons about how you and I can can sort of grow in, in the way that we pray. And there are three practical kinds of things. There's actually a lot more in, in chapter four than we're going to tackle today. There's some great relational, some great community kind of stuff, but we're going to kind of keep it focused on prayer. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Colossians chapter four, starting with verse two. If you've got the, the Ignite Church app, you can also follow along with the notes in there. It'll have the scriptures. You can follow along on the screens. It'll be everywhere. It'll be awesome. So just kind of follow along with us. I've got a couple of, I think I've got a couple quotes up here first. Yeah, I'll give you a couple of these just great prayer quotes. that I, I, I had all kinds of great quotes that I ran across this week. Martin Luther says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Right? He's saying, are you kidding me? For a Christ follower, prayer is like breathing. It gives life to us. Okay, and the second Oswald Chamber says, prayer does not uh, fit us or equip us for the greater work in our lives. Prayer is the greater work. Like, that's where the good stuff is at. And so, with that, I'm just going to kind of go ahead and jump in. Uh, let's, let's go ahead to the... Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and go to Colossians chapter 4, starting with verse 2. It says this. We're going to jump ahead. There we go. We're going to just read through this together. This is how it starts out. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, Paul writes, uh, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Another translation says fearlessly. I love that. Pray that I'll proclaim it fearlessly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that uh, you may know how to answer everybody. Tychicus will uh, tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell, tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You may have received, or you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Verse 11, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always, listen to this, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it, it uh, also is read in the church at Laodicea and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, among 
other things, one of the things you might get from uh, this passage is that you never want to stand publicly and have to read all those names. <laughs> that, could be, that could be one thing that you would get, and you would be correct. <laughs> but, but really, and like I said, there's some great stuff in there. Uh, and we'll say for another time, I would love to talk about all the relationships and all the community stuff that's in there. They were, this is not just individuals following Jesus. You can start to see the picture of the church, the interwoven, interdependent church of Jesus Christ. Christ that is living to advance the kingdom and see the mission of Jesus move forth. There's great stuff in there, but like I said, we'll save that for another another message. Today we're going to zero in on those first few verses and just kind of talk about a, a little bit about um, what you know ways that we can grow in prayer. Because as we'll see, I think I mean I think this too is part of the path of fullness that's getting laid out for us. How we can walk in the fullness of Christ as we kind of look at the overarching picture of Colossians. And so we're just going to look at kind of three lessons, three prag- pragmatic kind of practical things uh, that struck me this week about prayer from Colossians chapter four. Um, I will give you just a little uh, one more one more teaser. One of the things that we have been um, doing as a church, a bunch of us have been involved in kind of doing some dreaming and some planning, uh, envisioning for Ignite for the next 18 months. And we've been dreaming about and praying about and saying, God, what do you have for us? What are, what are maybe three or four areas that, that, that God, that you really want to push forth? You want to, you want us to put some energy into and make some changes in. And I will just say one of the areas that we feel like as a church that, that we really need to grow in is this whole area of prayer. And, and learning to, to hit our knees. Not, I mean, as individuals, absolutely. But also as a, as a church, as a fellowship in relationships to others. One of the coolest things I have to say that I see, and we see this happen sometimes, is like maybe in connection time before or after, it, it makes my heart so happy to look out and you see somebody from the church that has their hand or their arm around or they're hugging or whatever and praying for somebody else. You look at that and you think, yeah, that's the church, right? That's, that, is, that is how we are meant to be living. Just bathed and committed to devoted to prayer. And so we're going to be making some changes. We're going to have some prayer and worship nights. We're going to develop some more teams. We're going to, we're going to give lots of opportunities. We're going to teach on it. We're going to, it's going to be everywhere. So hopefully for the next 18 months, you're going to, uh, we're all going to have more and more and more opportunities to pray and to be prayed, prayed for. We'd love to have some more, more, we do this sometimes, but to have a team of people and more opportunities that as we have needs at the end of the service, you could come up and just have a team pray for you, pray over you and some people that love you and can just be praying with you for stuff that's going on. It's great to write it on a card and, and know that you have a team that's praying for you, but it's another thing to have a brother or a sister put their arm around you and just pray. I mean, it's, it's the good stuff, right? And so uh, these today, we are just going to scratch the surface, but know that there's going to be a lot more depth, a lot more uh, that's coming on this. Fair enough? Three things uh, from Colossians 4. The first one, and I kind of put them all in statements because uh, this is how it struck me, but the first one is to pray more with persistence than, uh, than in crisis, right? Not, don't just pray. In, I think all of us, like we were talking about before, if you have a kid that's you know, sick or whatever, we will pray in those times. But the test is like when things are going pretty good, most of the time, if we can be honest, most of the time, I don't think we pray that well, right? We don't pray that much. We're pretty happy just to kind of go on with life and be whatever until the next crisis hits. And then we'll, oh, then we'll be on our faces before God. God, you got to provide or God, you got to heal or God, you got to do this kind of thing. And God might show himself and he might heal, he might answer, uh, whatever. And then we kind of quit praying. And I think, I mean, the way uh, Colossians 4.2 starts out, right, is with a call. It says to be devoted to prayer, 
And man, that's a totally different gig, right? Be devoted. It means again and again and again. Would you be hitting your knees? Would you be, would you be seeking the Lord? Would you be just resting in him, yet asking, yes, but just being with Jesus. Would you be worshiping him? Would you be thanking him? Would you be praising him for who he is? Would you be drunk close? Would you be listening? But would you be devoted to prayer? Would you, would you have that consistency to be praying day after day after day throughout the day? Yes, but sometimes when we say that, oh, I just, I'm always in a state of prayer. What we really mean is that we don't just, we just don't pray. We don't really have a regular, yes, we'll say thank you to Jesus as, as something good happens throughout the day, but that's, that's different than what we're talking about here. This is a different gear, right? This is saying, no, I'm going to hit my knees. I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to go in my prayer closet. I'm going to close it and I'm going to pray for 15 minutes or 20 minutes and not, not like it's a stopwatch thing, but I'm going to pray for an extended period of time. In fact, one of the, one of the verses that goes on and says, uh, I mean, Epaphras, right? We, we looked at, we read that. So he's, he's always wrestling in prayer. I love that imagery. It's another kind of devotion. Have, have, has anybody ever felt like they've been wrestling in prayer? I feel this way all the time. Like there are times when, be, you know, the pace of life or whatever else, you're kind of going, going, going. And so you sit down and you pray and you think, that felt like that was bouncing off the ceiling. That felt like that was going nowhere. Or I, I feel like I'm off or I'm not like in connection. And you have to fight for it, right? You got to wrestle through through that deal, and it's, and it's not wrestling against God, it's wrestling with my own heart, wrestling with my own mind, and just, would you shut up, right? Would, can you turn off Facebook? Can I put, put down the phone? Can I not think about everything else that's coming? And just recognize that I'm coming into the presence of the Lord. He's here already, but I'm, I'm recognizing that he's here. Can I step in and just slow down and set my heart and my mind on you? Jesus, that's a totally different thing, wrestling in prayer. And then the other thing that, that it talks about, I think it's, it's fascinating, right? Be devoted in prayer. It says, and be watchful. Now, there's a few things uh, some, that, that that can mean. It could be kind of alluding to and looking ahead and saying being watchful. Remembering Jesus is coming back, right? That's one of it. That, that keeps things in perspective. Some scholars, though, that I read this week said, you know, it's more likely that it's, almost, it's looking back and remembering Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right? Who he takes his followers up. This is right before the cross, right before Jesus goes to the cross. And uh, I mean, sweating drops of blood. I mean, it's a, he's looking ahead going, oh man, God, if there's a different way, like, can we think about this a little bit? I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a crazy season. So he brings his followers with him and said, would you watch and pray with me? Would you watch and pray? Would you be watchful? And so he leaves uh, his disciples and then the Peter, James, and John, he leaves them there, and he goes off uh, on his own, and he, he spends some time praying, and he comes back to his followers, who he's asked, would you watch, and would you pray with me, and, what, and what's happening? What happens? <laughs> yeah, they fell asleep. He's like, thanks a lot, right? Like, what was, what was that whole thing about? And he said, and this is what he says, could you not watch and pray for a single hour, just for one hour? By the way, how many of us would say, oh, yeah, I, I watch and pray for an hour easy, like all the time, right? Like it's, for us, an hour is a huge amount of time. Jesus, like, couldn't you do it even for just this little amount of time, this little, this hour over here? And so he said, watch and pray that you would not fall into temptation, he says the second time. And then he goes away, he goes off, and he prays on his own, and he pleads with the Father. And he comes back, and what's happening? Yep, it says their, their eyelids were heavy. They're like, oh, we're trying, Jesus, right? I mean, like, he's like, are you kidding me? And then he goes off a third time, comes back, and he's like, are you still sleeping? Like, what is going on? And I, I was thinking about that this week and thinking, man, 
I wonder how many of us are devoted to prayer in this kind of way. How many of us would spend an hour wrestling in prayer with Jesus? How many of us would pray for our families in that kind of a gear? How many of us would pray for our friends or our coworkers who don't know Christ in that kind of gear? Can you not spend a single hour in prayer? Praying for the salvation, the souls of those people around you, the lives of those people. Can you not spend... God was kind of messing with me on this because an hour is way longer than I typically spend in prayer a day. How about you? It's, it's challenging. It's challenging where, where God's saying, you know, this is, I think, got a different value and a different sort of priority number in the life of Jesus, in the life of Paul, in the lives of the followers of Jesus in the first century than it does for us, than it does for me. And if, and if that's the case, then I'm the one that's wrong, right? Something needs to get reordered here. Be devoted, he says, to prayer. Would Jesus look at you and say that you live a life devoted to prayer, or would he more likely come back and say, why are you sleeping? Or why are you on Facebook? Or why are you on Netflix? Or why are you drowsy? Why are your eyelids so heavy? Or are you devoted to prayer? Not a guilt trip, but that's where the good stuff is at, right? That's where we're saying, man, this is the path to fullness because the, the path to prayer is a path into the presence of the living God, right? It's where we get to see and know and experience Jesus more. Listen to this. this is a, I thought this was a great quote, Tim Keller quote. He says, a triune God would call us to converse with him because he wants to share the joy he has. It says, prayer is our way of entering into the happiness of God himself. Isn't that great? I love that quote. Ian Bounds says, we can do nothing without prayer. All things can be done by persistent, ongoing, being devoted in prayer. Beth Moore says, there are parts of our calling, works of the Holy Spirit, and defeats of the darkness that will come no other way than through furious, fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. Remember the second week of the series, we talked about a new way to see Jesus. We talked about the second half of Colossians chapter one, and it is a big God kind of passage. Remember we said, you know, he created, he's the creator, right? All things are made by him and for him, right? It's, it's the purpose of our existence. We talked about that. He's the resurrected one, the firstborn, right? The resurrected one, the one that is large and in charge. He is sovereign. He's over all. He's all knowing. He's all, it's a big God passage. And, uh, and, and part of the, and I just love that, and I think that's so important as we're thinking about Colossians, because the reason that we go to Jesus is because in him is everything, right? Because he is fullness. Why would we go anywhere else? I've got a friend that his, oh boy, uh, I've got a friend, looking at the time, sorry. We've got, I've got a friend that uh, is, is separated from his um, wife and kids, not, certainly not by choice, but because of uh, visa and what do you call that? Um, just all the paperwork kind of stuff, the legal paperwork. They, I mean, they've, they've gone through time and time and time again. They've filled out the paperwork. They've paid the money. They've had the interview at the embassy. They've done all the things you're supposed to do and gotten denied. And so uh, he's here. His wife and his children are overseas. And, of course, it's breaking his heart. It's been several years. It's been a couple of years now. And, uh, and he told me maybe six or eight months ago, I don't know what it was. He's like, I'm spending several hours a day now in prayer and I'm just 
And I'm like, no kidding. I'm like, tell me about that. And he's like, he's like, well, here's the thing. If I knew somebody at the embassy, I'd be bugging them. I'd be talking to them every day. I would do everything I could possibly do uh, to, to, to pull the strings and, and open up the door for my family to be with me. He goes, but I am convinced that the only one that can answer this prayer, the only one that can work, the only one that can intervene is God. And so I am going to him again and again. He was devoted to prayer. And I just think, man, some of the reason we don't pray is because I'm not sure we really believe God can answer. I'm not sure we believe that he really can and will come through in ways that we hope he can. And Colossians remind us, are you kidding me? When we are coming to Jesus, when we are coming to God in prayer, he is the creator. He's the one that spoke and the, everything came into being. This is, this is, he's the one that can heal with a snap of a finger. He's the one that can raise the dead, and he proved it because Jesus himself rose and now offers resurrection to, right? I mean, he said, are you kidding? This is the God you are coming to in prayer. Don't forget that when you, he is the one we go to in everything. This is where the good stuff is at. So would you go with that kind of further, fervor, with that kind of devotion, would you pray again and again and again, come to him as if he's the only one that can answer? Because you know what? He is. He is. That's where he holds all power. He holds all authority, everything else. Man, I wonder if the Lord today is tapping us on the shoulder and saying, man, it is time to take your prayer life to a different level right? Where it's time for you. Yes, do you want to pray throughout the day? Of course we do. But man, would you carve out some time? Would you find a place? Would you create a regular routine in your life where you are going before the Lord, hitting your knees? There's something powerful, I think. Maybe it's just me, but about actually getting on your knees, right? And it kind of reminds us of who we are and who God is, right? Sometimes I'll lift up my hands, I'll go down on my knees, and I'll pray that way, just remembering he is the strong one, I'm the weak one. He is the one who holds all authority and all power and everything else, and I, not so much, right? I mean, like, it's, just, it's a reminder, and we go to him and we pray. Would you create some space? Would you devote yourself to prayer. Second thing, better keep going here. Uh, second one is pray more with thankfulness than complaint. <laughs> um, man, there's so many places. We're, we're hitting it in chapter four, but it's really throughout the book of Colossians. Paul is, keeps writing again and again. He says, would you pray with thanksgiving? He starts out chapter one saying, when we pray for you, we always pray with Thanksgiving, right? He said all the way throughout the book, he's talking about, would you give thanks? Would you give thanks? And he says, and he models it. We're giving thanks for you. People that he had never met before, by the way. <laughs> he's praying for them. He's like, when we pray, we pray with thanksgiving because we've heard what God's doing in you. And so we pray with thanksgiving. I, I just think it's a fascinating picture because where is Paul when he's writing this letter to them? He's in prison. He's in jail. He is chained and, what's, and what is the instruction that, that gets linked to prayer in this over and over and over again? He says, would you thank God? I'm thanking God. I am thank. He's in prison, right? And he's thanking God. I just think, man, we live in a world that is so negative and so consumed with complaining and ah, rah, rah, over and over. I mean, we, 
Social media is full of it. Man, I don't know anybody that gets off social media and just think, oh, man, I, my heart is lightened, and I just feel so good. And whatever. Are you kidding me? It's like, well, this is terrible, and our country's going to crap, and these people are corrupt. And I mean, it's just like, it's like over and over and over. We are just, it's the negative cycle. We just do it over and over. And, and Paul's like, are you kidding? And God through Paul is like, are you kidding me? My people are to be known as thankful when you pray, would you pray with thanksgiving? I'm a pretty simple person, so literally that means when I pray, you know what I should do? At least some of it should be, God, thank you for what if we, do, what if our, our minds and our prayers and our words dwell on what God has done for us in Christ? We dwell on what God has actually given to us and put, provided for us in our lives. What has been entrusted to our care. What if instead of complaining or grumbling about, I wish I had this or this didn't go the way, what if we were like, God, thank you for my family. Yes, does it have its quirks? Does it have its issues? Of course, all of them do. But God, I am thankful that you have entrusted my wife and my kids in, into my care, into my family. Thank you for your work on the cross for me and for us. Thank you for opening my eyes and turning me from <laughs> the path of destruction and bringing me into the kingdom of light. Thank you for your faithfulness and your good. I mean, what if our minds and hearts dwelt more there? You think that would, that would change anything in your life? I guarantee it. The path to fullness is also the path of thanksgiving. It really is. Man, I wish we had time. I would, there's this quote, and I, our quote, uh, bit, comedy bit that, that gets done. It's Louis uh, C.K. I don't, okay, just so you know, your pastor is not encouraging or recommending. He's got a ton of language and that kind of stuff, but he's got this bit that he does on airplanes. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It's fantastic. It's fun. It's bleeped out. It was, he was on uh, Conan or somebody, I can't remember. Oh, right, I don't know. He's on one of the late night shows. And he starts talking about uh, flying. He goes, did you ever notice that any time uh, somebody flies, they, they have like this horrible story about like hor how terrible it was. He said, you'd think it was like they were in cattle cars during World War II, right? Being, you know, killed for their, you know, beliefs or something. He's like, we, everybody, they'll be like, I, I had to wait on the runway for 40 minutes, right? I mean, like, he's like, like, everybody gets off like it was the, the most horrible thing. And then, and then he goes on and says, are you kidding me? He's like, and then did you partake in the miracle of flight? Like, he's like, are you kidding me? He's like, think about it. You're sitting in a chair in the sky, right? I mean, he's like, he's like, every person that flies should be sitting there going, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I'm flying, right? I'm flying. He's like, it's so, it's amazing. This, he goes, and, and yet we focus on the negatives. He's like, you're sitting in a chair in the sky. Yeah, but it doesn't go back very far, right? I mean, he's like, are you, like, are you kidding? And I think it's profound, actually. He talks about this. It's funny, but uh, like I said, I think it kind of gets to the core of us. I mean, we are all like, trained or something to kind of focus on the negative. It's maybe the downside of living in this sin-stained world. We focus in on everything that's wrong. I am preaching to myself here, right? I mean, but we focus in on the negative and the whatever. And God says, would you lift your eyes? And instead, would you learn when you pray, would you pray with thanksgiving? God, thank you for your work in my life. Thank you for provision, the ability to, to have a job. I mean, we live 
in the richest country in the world, right? We live in an era with the technology and the, the stuff that we have the, that most people in human history and most people around the world would give their left arm for and probably couldn't even imagine. We have so much to be thankful for. Let's spend time as we pray, learning to thank him. I better keep going. We'll finish up the last one. This is the one that I think I got the most out of in, in Colossians this week. But pray more about God's mission than your comfort. Again, I find it fascinating. Paul is in prison. He's literally chained uh, to, to guards and to a wall, to whatever. And, and this whole thing is going on. And he doesn't, it's fascinating to look at what he prays for and what he doesn't pray for in the book of Colossians. What he doesn't pray for, he never once prays throughout any of his letters Get me out of prison. That's what I'd be praying, right? Like, God, God, I don't want to be here, right? I mean, like, it was, and that was, it was not like the kind of prison we have today. They didn't have TVs. They didn't even feed you. You were at the mercy of other people to come in and bring you food, or you would die while you're in jail. I mean, like, this is not nice. You know, he doesn't pray, God, let me out of this. God, I, would you quit the suffering? God, would you quit making me wait? He doesn't pray any of those things. What he does praise, he said, God, would you advance your gospel through me? Would you bring people to Jesus? Would you give me boldness? Would you open doors for our message? Would you give us a fearless spirit to boldly proclaim Jesus to a world that needs him? And he does, right? He prays those things. And the, from other letters we know, he's leading guards to Christ. He's leading all kinds of people to Christ while he is in prison. This is probably, and this might mess with us a little bit, but this is probably the most productive era of Paul's life for the kingdom of God. He writes most of his letters here. He sees tons of people come to Christ. He gets to disciple and mentor others that are with him, send them out. I mean, it's an incredible era, but I just love the focus is so darn different than ours, isn't it? He's not praying for my comfort. Would everything just go easy for me? And may I have riches? And may, you know, like he's not praying those. He's saying, God, would you advance your mission? And you see it throughout. He starts, he starts praying in chapter one and prays all the way through. God, would you, would you, ah, oh, would you move your kingdom forward? Would you raise up your church? Would you give us confidence to stand with you? He just prays with such a kingdom passion and such a kingdom perspective. Ian Bounds says this. Oop, go back one. Go back one. There it goes. It says, prayer, uh, prayer with so many of us is simply a form of selfishness. It means asking for something for ourselves, that and nothing more. Now, let me hit the pause button and say, you think it's okay from God's perspective for us to ask about the things that are going on in our lives, the needs that we have? Of course it is, right? That is, not, that is not what he's saying. He's just saying, it's got to be more than that. Because other, it's not just the genie in a bottle, God, right? It's, that's not prayer. Like, give me what I want. Give me what I get. Do I get three wishes? You know, can I have three more? Can I have three more? It's not just, I need money, and I want a better car, and I need a bigger house, and whatever. But when we pray, would you pray with his perspective? I mean, man, I just love it. I'm, I'm a person, and maybe you'll think this is too legalistic or rigid or something, but I love to write out um, prayers that I run across in the Bible, and then I pray those things. Like some of these that we're talking about today, God, would you, would you help me to proclaim your message fearlessly, right? I mean, I, I just love that kind of stuff because, because what's true is that when we pray God's word, we pray his will. And you know what God does? 
he answers it, right? I mean, that's the thing. Like, we know this is God's will. And I, I think I see tons of answered prayer just because I feel like I'm asking the kind of things that he wants me to be asking. But it, and it's good so we get to see that kind of thing. But the thing that's also interesting is it starts changing our lives when we start praying more for his kingdom, more for his glory, more for his purposes. Suddenly, it starts shifting some things in me too. Suddenly, I start caring a little bit more maybe about the stuff that God cares about and a little bit less about my own kingdom, right? Suddenly, I start looking outward instead of inward so much, and I start noticing and looking and caring more for the people that God cares about and a little bit less about just me, me, me. Right? It starts changing my life, too. It's the good stuff. When we start praying a little bit more, God, may your kingdom come. God, may your will be done. Would your mission and your gospel advance? Would your church be raised up? Would you teach us to trust you more and follow you more? Would obedience characterize us? Would your spirit just come down in power and, and teach us to follow and keep in step with? You know, when we start doing that kind of, man, it changes our lives too. Well, friends, I'm gonna kind of wrap up here uh, a little bit differently um, today. Um, Certainly, I think there's individual uh, application, and I hope you're paying attention, because I think for some of us, maybe we need to raise the bar on our own, on our own prayer lives, probably all of us, right, saying, okay, I'm going to carve out some time to start praying. I, a lot of times, start out my time praying just saying, God, would you teach me to pray? Like, I think that's, a, that's an honoring prayer to God, teach me to pray, and then kind of pour out your heart to him. And then spend some time thanking him, right? Spend some time going to him for, yeah, the requests of your heart and your family. Yeah, go to him again and again. And then spend some time praying as well for his purposes, his mission to prevail, his gospel to be proclaimed, for people to be drawn to Jesus, for disciples to be raised up and sent out, that the world would be transformed, that his kingdom would come, his will would be done more in our lives, in our hearts, and in our world like it is in heaven.